I, I think it should sound pretty good as long as you just keep an eye on it and just if, if you see it starting to like not pick up your voice then maybe just talk a little closer to the mic or turn up the gain a little bit so okay Mail, how's your uh, how's your week been going? How's it been? We haven't talked in a while. It's been a little bit since we did the last uh, the last podcast, and the last time I saw you was Christmas when I was back home. So, yeah, things have been going good. Just busy, you know, usual stuff. Of I life. heard that uh, I heard that uh, Kayla's man's rolled into town <laughs> and maybe had a, a a proposition to make to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> How did that play? How did that go down? That went really good, you know. Yeah, yeah. I it just, you know, sometimes those trips they just seem so rushed, you know. Mm, and so it's yeah. like sometimes you feel like you know you know there's a conversation that needs to be had, but you don't want to press yeah. it. You want everything to yeah, because you want it to come at the natural moment, but yeah. it's also hard because when you only have a few days, there's not a lot of just natural. You have to just kind of make it happen. Yeah. Plus, he was up here and they were looking at you know wedding site and all that kind of stuff. So it just was a lot of things yeah. that they needed to do. But so I mean, I assume that'd be stressful for him. Did he approach you and just say, "Hey, like, can I talk to you about something?" Uh, yeah. Well, you know your mom. She sort of mediates <laughs> she of course is pulling the strings for the puppets <laughs> she mediates you know she she's aware of my time and things i'm working on and stuff like that and then you know the point in the trip she knows where the we're schedule at, of kayla yeah, and, Caleb and all that and, stuff so it's like it's good for yeah. her to be able to sort of <clears throat> direct things a little bit but yeah he came to me went sat down in the living room and talked for a while it was good it's good. I'm not. Does he a, I'm have not any a, like major stab wounds or or anything along those lines? Does he have a broken bone of sorts afterwards? Or was it all peaceful? No, it was peaceful. I think it it, it helped that you know he was here before, and so I got a chance yeah. to to meet him and stuff. It's, like it's that. not like this is his first time you've ever met him, and now you've got to say yes to this conversation right here. Yeah, you know, and I I you know had a chance to see him play volleyball, and Christians in sports can do. A number of things <laughs> bring things out, yeah, about yeah, people's can, personality uh, and stuff. So being able to do that with him when he was here last time, stuff like that, you know, it's helpful for me to get a, a view of what he's like. But you know, Kay's pretty open about sharing stuff that they go through and that's going on. So I can go off of that. You know, it's like how long did the conversation go for? Uh, I don't know. I wasn't, you know, you know me. I don't look at the clock, so I don't. <laughs> I don't really. Nah, I mean, know. I, but listen. it was. But it. Let's just say it was flowing along really well. Mom and Kay were off on a walk. Everyone was pretty much off doing stuff, so the house was ours, and we just talked for a while about other things. It wasn't just solely about that. So, yeah, it was good. That's cool. Is it? Was it the first kind of like one-on-one conversation you've actually been able to have? No, we had one last time he was here. We just sat out in the backyard and, you know, got to know each other a little bit. I asked him what his intentions mm-hmm. were in that, but you know, it's it. You know, when you get to this point, it's like it's uh, you just one of the things as a parent is trying to figure out, you know, how much do you just let it roll. Yeah, and you know where do you intervene because they're grown ups and they have to make decisions for themselves. And although it's a it's a really important one, but you know, 
you sort mm-hmm. of have to afford them that space to to do what they need to do so it's just you know and other parents as you wa- watch this kind of you know this phase of life you can watch other parents where they just get so overbearing controlling about things and it's like look they've got to make choices on their own and figure some things out and they've got to do it between them and the lord and last thing we need to do as parents is try and be the holy spirit for them so yeah yeah that's that's a tough thing i feel like that's that's a great way to put it actually i haven't heard it said that way but like trying to be the holy spirit for that person it's like i'm trying to be the voice of reason and conscience and not that you can't obviously put your two cents in and and you know be a part of decision making and stuff but because at the end of the day once they're at a certain age that they're at and once you've gotten to the realm of marriage it's like I'm asking you for your permission out of a sign of respect that I have for you. But we're going to do what we're going to do as adults regardless. And so I think parents and some, there's certain parents that like to believe that they have more control because they still haven't let the reins off their own kids yet. And so they want to now have reins on the new partner. And it's like, I want to have the same control I have over my children over their new spouse or whoever. I want to make sure that I'm still calling the shots when I want to call the shots. Well, and it's an issue of, of relationship because you definitely don't want to get to that point where they're thinking, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so it really doesn't matter what you say. Yeah. You'd like to think that they, they you know, weigh your words and there's some weight with them as far as what you have to say. But at the other, on the other hand, it's like, yeah, you, you don't have complete, that's sort of the deception that we all buy into that somehow we have more control than we really do <laughs> things yeah. in our life. And it isn't that we're not culpable or responsible, but at the same time, you know, I think parents sometimes when you're in places where there's authority granted by God, sometimes they forget it's one, you know, all authority is delegated authority. And yeah. so it's not yours in and of yourself, but also you always have a tendency to, to, to think more of power that you have as opposed to authority. And, you know, we don't have power. It's like, you know, wives being submissive to their husbands. Some guys think they've got power over the wives. You may have a place of authority, but you definitely. <laughs> what do you think? Power. What do you think would be the, the defining difference between power and authority? Because I think it is really easily confused. And people can go from being put in a place of authority to assuming that now they have some form of power that everyone else doesn't have. Well, I think with the issue of, of authority, when you understand it correctly, you realize that it's a derivative. It, it doesn't come from you yourself alone, mm. right? I mean, as a husband, as a father, mother, right? That's all delegated authority, even governments. It's all delegated authority. You all answer to the ultimate giver of that authority. And therefore, it's a trust, not something that you can wield in and of your own. You can't be self-willed with it. You can't be manipulative with it, right? And you have to answer for what you do. Power oftentimes is just the simple fact of I have more strength over you or I can, you know, I, I can abuse you and be oppressive and all that kind of stuff and and in those cases it's not really about authority it's just about how you can inflict something on someone to get what you want and usually 
when you're talking about power as opposed to authority is it's usually self-driven and selfishly driven and you know that's when we tend to abuse everything but you know, the other side is with your kids it's like do you trust them I, I mean you know and not only that but we all make mistakes but we're given room to make those mistakes but also to have victories and to learn from them and mm. And I think sometimes as parents, we rob our kids because we want to have that control over them and that kind of thing. We don't allow them the freedom to make choices and see victory in their life as they overcome things and make good, wise decisions. And they get to reap the, the benefits of that. I mean, it's like I think part of it, too, is that you you in some ways when you have that parent that is super they want to have their hand on every move you make and of course at some point in your life you're at an age where that's how it should be you know you're the parent you should call the shots you dictate the moves that they make but eventually they have to mature to a point where they can make decisions on their own because that's what they're going to have to do for the rest of their life but it's like you get so accustomed to holding the reins that when they have those victories, it's almost like it's your victory, not theirs. It's like, well, you did what I told you to do, so now good things have come from it. And it's yeah. like, you're you're only doing well as long as you're under my control and you're doing exactly what I'm saying. And then you don't have trust. Like, how, how can you build trust in your kid when you only know that they are doing what is right when they're under your thumb? Because then yeah, every time that they you, step they step out, it's like you're just constantly questioning. You you think you assume that they're lying to you. Yeah. Well, then how how can you even know if what you did was 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 correct or not? If they if it's really taken root in them or not? Because if yeah. it's simple fear of you know retribution and you know punishment, <laughs> that's not going to go very far. Like, that's that's yeah. as soon as the door shuts and they drive off into their new life by themselves, that is all out the window. Yeah. How did you feel like, I don't know. I've never had a feeling of, I don't know, in my childhood, I've had like times where I feel maybe overreach in certain areas where I was like, yeah, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it this way. Or I wouldn't go about X, Y, or Z, but I never really felt like I was being parented by an iron fist and that you guys had to know everything about where I was at and what I was doing. And then, you know, did you like, but I feel like from off the bat, that was something that you had already kind of instilled in us that you were going to give us the trust and you are going to allow us to fail and you're going to, you know, give us that wiggle room. But it, it seemed like it didn't take very long for you to just be like, were you, had you always had that mentality going into parenting or what? Well, one since, yeah, you know, I, well, it's first Corinthians 13, right? Love hopes all things, believes all things. And I, I think that you, if you, you know, having any kind of relationship, right, you walk into it constantly doubting and mistrusting until proven that you can trust them. Mm. I mean, then you're just going to find yourself scrutinizing everyone. And then, then the question is, okay, so what standard are you evaluating their actions on? You know, are they, you know, simply is it about what is pleasing to you or is there is an actual, you know, biblical standard that you're, you're looking for in that and, 
And oftentimes that can get clouded when you decide, well, I'm going to hold, you know, I'm going to hold everyone guilty until they prove themselves innocent yeah. kind of mentality. Well, and you get into the mi- the mindset that you're the arbiter of right and wrong. And then it becomes, yeah. it doesn't really, it doesn't even revolve around God. It, you just get to use, you get to invoke the name of God and the name of the Bible as a tool to still hold your power. But when it doesn't have anything to do with them because you look at yourself as I am the decision maker, whatever I say must be right. And I think that's the thing is like once you hit a level of authority, you should always be the first to question whether you were right in something and take that criticism and be like, okay, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I do need to look into this. And if you're going back to the Bible as your source of right and wrong, then you can check and see and you couldn't, you could prove that you're right or prove where you've fallen. But a lot of people think that, oh, I've been given the power. So clearly what I say must be right. Yeah. Yeah. And where the other side is, I mean, if you look at, say, in, in Proverbs chapter three, there's a, a focus on, you know, the father exhorts the son, do not let my words depart from you. And it runs down through that chapter. But at the same time, he says, do not despise the Lord's discipline. In other words, you know, I instruct you and guide you and all of that. But ultimately, there's one you answer to that is above me that we both answer to. And when you understand that, then it takes on uh, your relationship with your children takes on a completely different level because it's about, look, you're accountable to him. So, you know, I think that if parents can, you know, get their kids to understand that reality so that when they walk out the door, right, they understand that it's not, you know, mom and dad finding out or whatever else. It's ultimately you're just going to have to stand before God by yourself and answer for what you do in this life. Well, it's not even just it's. As a, a parent, you're accountable to God. Yeah. And as a child, you're accountable to God. But it's not just that the that the child is accountable to the parent. It's that the parent is accountable for the child. Yes. So yeah. it's like you were both, and we have to answer to the Lord at the end of the day, the kid and the parent. And we have to strive. We are trying to strive for hopefully the same thing. And that's where you can really grow uh, a relationship with your kid in like a different level. When you realize that you're both aiming for the same goals, but at the same time, it's just that's just your responsibility. But well, and ultimately, you're 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 both creatures of the one Creator, and so therefore, He's entrusting those kids to the parents, and yeah. they are biblically referred to as gifts from the Lord, and they are that, and but they're entrusted as you know for you to care for them, but always to His glory, and if somehow you know we sort of displace God in our our you know, view of things and how things work and that, then mm-hmm. that's usually when things become abused. And, but I think too, with parenting, you know, one of the things I learned going into it also was Proverbs. You, you give the kids room to grow while they learn the rules. And mm, yeah, parent parents always aren't, aren't always giving space to their kids to figure things out. You know? well, I think a lot of parents, they fear, <clears throat> Like the idea of their kid ever dealing with a certain issue or ever falling in a certain way or ever failing in a way that maybe they had at one point or something that they never had dealt with before. So it's real foreign to them, but it's like their idea of of accomplishment is just keeping their kid from ever failing and from ever doing what's wrong. And I was like, there's there's no way you're ever going because everyone's going to sin everyone's going to fall short everyone is going to make the wrong move so there's if you're living your life as a parent thinking your job is to keep your kid from ever doing wrong then you're probably going to take a lot of over these precautions to like hold the rein keep him in because i the only way i can know you're not doing wrong as long as i know exactly what's happening but i think that it's you want your kid to fail 
and to be able to come back to you and to be able to see for themselves why this is the way it is, why taking this course of action didn't work, why taking this other course of action would have worked better. And you can't get that until they're allowed to step out, fail, come back, step out again, fail some more, come back again, retrain, you know, have a conversation about it. But but some parents, they're just afraid that if their kid ever, it's like the whole, like if you even start down that path, you it's hard to get back out of it, which I think for a lot of things it is. But if you fear ever letting your kid fail in any way and you fear them ever doing anything wrong, then they're never going to learn how to be able to get back up once they have. They're just going to start spiraling for the first time they ever start really falling once they're out of your control, and then they're never going to know how to get back out of the pit again. Yeah. And it's not that you 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 want them to go through those things, but one, you have a, a biblically you know driven view of the world and life. You know mm-hmm. what it is, and you know what happens in it. You know what we're capable of because we're all sinners, and so therefore there's always that that reality that we have to deal with. But yeah. I, I think I, at times it comes down to whether or not you're just talking about a sanitized life or a sanctified one. Because sanitized life is, is merely just, you know, you keep the, it's like Jesus says, you wash the outside of the cup, but inside you're filthy, dirty. Sanctified life is dealing with the inside dirty stuff. And it, well, it I think that's where you get into the, lovely, but you get into those long lists of things that I don't do because I'm a Christian. I don't do this because yeah. I'm a Christian. I don't partake in this. I wouldn't associate myself with these things. And it's like, okay, well, that could be, obviously there are going to be things that you choose to opt out of just because of your faith, you know? And I think that's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. But it's just but that's, not but that's partaking. Driven. Yeah. What were you going to say? I said, but that's, even those situations like that you're you're driven by what's inward right because you're dealing with the issue of what you know understand and believe and put faith and trust in and therefore that's going to govern your decision the other is just more external well because the other thing too is you could you could just look down on those things and just turn your nose up to them and be like ugh, i would never watch tv i would never watch anything that Netflix have ever produced, you know? And it's like, unless Kirk Cameron's stamp of approval is on it, I would never consume that. And, but it's like, but now is it because you're trying to live a righteous life that's different or because you are looking down on those things like, ugh, I could never lower myself to, and it's like, well, that's easy once you're just belittling all this other stuff. And I don't think, I think you're missing the point. It's not just about the things you're not doing. It's the real question is, what are you doing? What are the things for the faith that you are actively doing? Not just what are you abstaining from? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. You know, that's that's the thing. I mean, it's sort of easy with parenting. I think that that's part of, like, why so many parents grow up for some kind of system. One is they're looking for the easy way to deal with it, you know, but there's no easy way to deal with it. There's nowhere in scripture where you find that God says like there there's this quick way to a godly holy life, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. three easy steps. To, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Christ often said, you know, you need to weigh the cost of, mm-hmm. of what it looks like following me, and so there's I have a question a, about that though. Is because he does also make the claim that my burden is easy, my or my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
And it's yeah. like, but then also it's the cross you're going to carry is going to be heavy. It's going to be weighty. You're going to have to be able to lose loved ones and lose freedoms and lose all this stuff. So how do those coincide with each other? But it isn't that it's something that's oppressive. One, because we don't walk alone in that, right? It's like, so mm. if you look at the, like the concept and the, the illustration of a yoke, which he utilizes, right? There's the single harness yoke in which one animal is pulling the burden by itself. Yeah. And then you have the double yoke where you have another that's helping you pull the weight. And so it's not all on you and therefore mm. it is easier. And therefore it doesn't mean that you're not going to face hard times in your life. But at the same time, you're not going to have to walk through it alone. There's going to be comfort, strength, Mm. right? Stability, power. I mean, God never calls us to things that he doesn't enable us to do. And that's the exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy before Paul's going to be put to death is not to be ashamed and don't be afraid because God's equipped you to face all of this stuff. Paul got put to death? designed it. Yeah. How did he die? Beheaded. I thought he just died in the jail or something like that no, of old age. As far as we know from, from traditions that he was beheaded. And what a way to go, though. <clears throat> I can't, out of all the classic ways to go between beheading uh, the big gladiator arena, was that around the same time? They have gladiators and stuff yeah. where they throw all the Christians inside to fight the lions? Yeah. Now, when they say gladiators, were these trained armed people or were they just whoever they decided to throw in that week? Well, they were trained to be gladiators. They were trained to fight in the arena. That was what their. How do they? How do they get? Was there an application otherwise process the, that other otherwise, people signed up for? Well, or is it, it mostly you got picked? It's it's the UFC. Ooh, but okay. To the to the to the worst degree that it can possibly go, right? Fight yeah. to the death. So it's a similar thing. These men were trained and equipped and all of that, but. It was it was non-competitive then when they started persecuting Christians and throw them in the ring because they were just going to get slaughtered, and that's what they did. But by that time, society was so blood-soaked anyway yeah. that that didn't phase them one bit. So no, it wasn't started, like that was a shock. Oh, another no, person got eaten by a lion in the arena. They put Christians in animal skins and put them out in the ring and then set loose lions and stuff to devour them and... So by that point, it was like, okay. Boy, I get pretty upset whenever I'm caught in traffic. Pretty aggressive over that. <laughs> I think I'm having a bad day today, and I just, you know, 10 more minutes on my commute. But Well, in that time when Paul wrote that, Second Timothy, was a point in which Christianity was illegal because <laughs> he he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon during his first imprisonment in Rome and so then he's released from that we know likely traveled to Spain then was rearrested again and during that period between his first arrest and second he wrote 1 Timothy Titus and then he's arrested again but this time it, Christianity was illegal and so therefore mm. he refers to himself and the other person epistles his first arrest he refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord and merely as a prisoner, but in Second Timothy, he refers to himself as a criminal. It's the first time he does that because him being a Christian was illegal. But that's why the encouragement to Timothy, because if you associated with Paul, you come visit him. At that time, he was in Mamertine prison in a dungeon, 
if if anyone came to visit him, it would likely cost them their life, or they would yeah, because they would assume that if you're associating with this person, then you must be of the same belief. <clears throat> yeah, which is how likely did he get his letters when, out then? <clears throat> well, he had people came visit him, but they took that risk. Like Nesiphorus, he's mentioned in in Second Timothy chapter one, the way that Paul words that you know that his family might find you know mercy and so on it's likely that Nesiphorus found Paul ministered to Paul while he was in prison but also lost his life as a result of it oh wow so he had people come visit him because he asked for for Timothy to come and to bring Mark and to bring a cloak because he was cold he was down the dungeon and we know that there was a water system that ran underneath and there was a cro- uh, crack in the in the base of the prison where he could see through and see the rushing water so it'd be really cold and damp where he was so he requested a cloak and then he requested the scripture so he could study while he was there so anytime someone came to visit would they even allow him to have the scriptures though that's like that's like if they asked if some guy requested meth after being locked up for being a drug dealer it's possible because Tyndale did the same thing that he was arrested William mm. Tyndale was, and he did the first translation English Bible from the original languages into English. But he did the same thing. He was put in prison. He made a request for his Hebrew dictionary and Bible and mm. a, a cap for his head and a cloak because he was cold. And it seems as though that he was granted that request and allowed to have those things in his last days of life. So they Weird. could see it as an act of mercy. What harm is he going to do by being able to read a book? Do his thing. Here? Yeah. While he's in the yeah. Jay's already in prison. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Uh, other than, uh, other than the whole, um, asking for your daughter's hand in marriage business, which I'm glad went well and I'm glad that it all turned out. Okay. Um, how else has your week been up to, or how how has the last few weeks been? What's been uh, what's been going on in life? What's been on your mind? Uh, things are good, you know. Yeah. I mean, it just it, we've it, you know we started to sort of extend ourselves a little bit more. I mean, partly mm. it's just by the Lord doing because He's brought people into our life who need you know direction, guidance, some counseling. So your mom's super busy doing yeah that. she's been telling me a bit you about know. some of that but also i had a, a church reach out to me and i don't you know i can i can guess where they got my number from from a one of the kids that comes to the friday night youth group um it's likely where it came from but somehow they they got hold of my name and called me and uh were reaching out to see if i knew of a pastor who was in needing of of a pastorate or if I was free to consider pastoring their church. And so I, Oh really? Yeah. So it it was interesting because your mom and I were out of town. I get a call and the guy called your mom's phone. That's another reason why I think it was probably through this, this one family, but anyway, called your mom's phone and we were eating dinner at the time. And so I told him I'd get back to him when got back into town. And so I did. And they were, they had gone through a merger. It was two churches. The one that he was a part of was in Brush Prairie. They merged with another church and then inherited the, the building that the other church was meeting in. But the pastor that was shepherding that flock, he moved back to Georgia 
to take care of family and all of that. And so they were in need of a pastor. And so they reached out to see if I would consider either a, a church merger, which is one of the things that came up, or if I would, you know, split and pastor. Wow. Are you? I, would you consider that? Especially uh, the church, church merger, merger part. That's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is I, I've been a part of them in the past, you know, growing up in church my whole life, you know, I've seen it and been a yeah. part of I I haven't. I've grown it, up in church my whole life too, but I haven't seen none of the cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you you were saved <laughs> all the mucky <laughs> the, the stuff too. It, they don't always turn out. They don't always turn out well, right? No, I, mean, I don't. I, like, I can imagine all the reasons why they wouldn't. Like, I would yeah. be surprised. I feel like a church merger is one of those things where it's like. You know, we're going to do the surgery, but there's 90% chance he doesn't pull through. 10% we get it right, but 90% chance we lose them all. You know, and so it's but, like, I feel like yeah, it's the majority of the time they don't click as easy as you would imagine the people of God would. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like, you know, I, it's, it's interesting because it's not like the most of the difficulties come because of theological stances either. A lot of it is just, um, what kind know, of personal. coffee, what, you know, what creamer do we keep out? Yeah. It's usually just personal stuff that really gets in the way, but yeah. this particular body, I mean, I, I'm always open to whatever the Lord's going to do. And so I, I don't just slam door shut on things, but I do walk mm. with prudence cause he tells us to, um, because he may be leading us to do something, but not what we immediately jump to the conclusion he wants us to do. That's and, a big thing that, that I've realized is sometimes the, the the offer that's been set on the table is a door opening, but it's opening to another offer that hasn't been pulled into play yet. And you yeah. can get yourself so consumed with the idea of like, oh, well, clearly God has shown me that this is where I'm supposed to go next. So I'm going to go. This is it. I've committed my mind to this. And you don't leave the door open that maybe he's going to take a left turn as soon as you step through that doorway yeah. and go somewhere else with it. That if you're not ready for it to go that way and you've already got your heart and your mind so set on the fact that I thought this was how it was supposed to go, you know, you're not going to be as easily moved to the next thing. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like I mean, when the door opens and you, if you were to just get a glance into the room, you think you already know the layout and everything, and then you walk yeah. in and find out it's completely different. Yeah, yeah. So I just say, look, if God's if God's doing it, then God's going to define it. He's going to design it, and we just need to just be willing to walk and, you know, be prudent in what we do and don't rush to things. So, but it's it, it was good because they they were going through difficult times. They. When the pastor left, they realized, they began to find out as they were looking for someone else because people's expectations get expressed, desires, all that kind of stuff, right, comes out. Well, they realized that there were issues in the body that didn't even know existed. And there were oh, different, yeah. you know, uh, thoughts and ideas. Warring gangs. Stuff. Left yeah, side of the so, pews versus right side of the pews. Well, and it's like, so they have this these turmoils going on. They don't even know that they exist, and all of a sudden this stuff starts surfacing. Well, you already have instability as it is because you don't have a shepherd. It was kind of a, a rushed thing, so therefore they had leadership in place, but they were in no way anticipating, you know, really thinking ahead, we're going to need someone to replace him. Yeah. Right. Until it really happened, and then they start thinking about it. And the Scrambling for it. They they never, you know, knew that these issues were even issues until 
instability causes them to rise to the surface. And so, do you have these people's the last names? Thing do you need... have the church name? Can we reach out? Can we call them on the podcast? See if we can resolve the issues right here live? No, because I'll tell you how it sort of got resolved. So, they called called me into this, and I met with one of the guys, and he, he and it's funny because they're looking for a pastor, but he's the only one who did any kind of looking really. He and he's the one who called me. So I met with him, an older gentleman. And so, you know, I said, well, let's just keep walking and see what God does with this. And so I met with him and then we, I went to look at the property and that, and I took your grandfather with me. Hmm. And so as which we, one, uh, grandpa McDougal. Oh, okay. Okay. So as, as we went and I was talking with them, you know, then they start putting out these ideas and I'm like, you know, maybe just let's just take it slowly and walk and see what, what happens with this. Um, the merger thing was not, you know, I, I just said that's something we shouldn't rush into because if you have all of this instability, then you throw a new body into this mix and yeah. all these different people and, a new and all leader. that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you're already reeling from everything else going on. That's not going to help you at all. And if I was mm. a greedy pastor, then I would say, let's merge. Yeah, why? Because yeah. I inherit a building that's paid I, yeah, for. Yeah, I get a new building. I get a bunch more people to yeah. listen to what I'm saying. And now we double the size and you know all of that stuff. So yeah. I said, let's just take it slow and see what happens. So I met with the elders um, three of them on a Friday evening, and I took your grandpa McDougal with me. Before I went, I, I sort of put the idea out. You know, they had other pastors, not pastors, but men coming from other churches to fill in on Sundays for them. Mm. And they were doing two Sundays a month, these guys would fill in, and then the others were covered by this gentleman that I was talking with in the church, which he felt himself completely unqualified to be doing but <laughs> but you with, know what you know what that's the anyway. person you actually want doing it though well, yeah yeah i mean and you, there's a sense in which you know this is your role but at the same time you realize look it, this isn't by my choosing and and so on so that comes with humility hopefully yeah. um but he, for him across the board he just felt like completely just out of out of water out so, of his depth yeah, and so, you know, and I think that's sort of why he was the one who was doing more of the reaching out to find somebody simply because things he were didn't falling want, on yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and was not so, ready to handle the mess. Yeah, so <clears throat> they had these guys coming in to fill in, but it was never the same guy. It was never the same book. It was never right. And so there, there's just this instability and inconsistency and all of that that can come with, right, having just, you yeah. know, guys ins and outs and i said and you don't you don't want me splitting time between this body and that body because that's not healthy for anybody either i said you need someone who's a full-time shepherd who's going to care for you can be there for you and walk you guys through these things so what i suggest is that they have an interim and so when i took your grandfather to the meeting on friday evening with the elders that was mm. the idea is maybe you would consider him to come along as interim oh that's and great walk through this so you know he has all the years of experience of seminary as well as pastoring he's done interim ministry before i mean that's what his etm ministry was about was coming in helping churches get refocused on where they needed to be ironing out problems oh that really kind of thing yeah. So and he's done that all over the world. So I thought who better than to come alongside and yeah, help yeah, them yeah. walk. And so you know, and 
I've been praying for him for a few years now that the Lord would show him bring something new into his life. Yeah, something that he can do because you know he still has life left in him and, and still has much to contribute. So yeah, when yeah, I took yeah. him to the meeting Friday, they they brought it up, and then on Saturday they reached out and said, you know, we contacted that church and told them they don't need to send guys anymore. Would your dad be willing to, to preach Sunday? And I said, sure. So he went Sunday, and immediately after that service they said, would you consider doing interim? And he said, sure you know well then this last sunday he spoke again and they want him to consider doing full-time pastorate to become really that's really that's crazy so So they must they must have really just enjoyed enjoyed the man i mean he's a great you know pastor obviously but now and and yeah it's just no go for it go for it go for it no and i was just thinking i mean it's just you know he he's had all these years to refine things. And so I think what they're going to get is get the best version of in a lot of ways. Yeah, because he's been doing teaching still throughout the years and he's been pastoring around, but it's been a lot of downtime for him. But obviously he's still refining, still studying, still working, still walking with the Lord. So you're obviously going to still grow. And so I think that, I mean, listen, I don't know how refined he will ever be able to get when it comes to putting together a PowerPoint <laughs> slide presentation because I don't, I don't think there's any form of reformation in that. Well, you, the funny thing is the first Sunday he spoke there, he didn't use PowerPoint, which is completely unheard of for him. Really? So yeah. is that because they just don't do PowerPoint that often or what? They have, I mean, it's a small building and they have a small screen and he thought, well, this could be really cumbersome and, and yeah, and there was just too many glitches that could have happened. And so he figured I'm just honestly probably for the best because I don't ever need, he's a great communicator verbally. Like I don't really, his bullet points don't really help explain the points anymore. (laughs) He just clicks them up fast enough for him to say them as he clicks past them to the next thing. Yeah, and it's like, well, I I could, didn't have time to read it even, but I'll take your word for what you said was on the screen. And I believe, I believe that he only has three PowerPoint presentations, only all for Revelation, that he just <laughs> clicks through quickly enough so you never realize that it's not for the right message, and he just goes and it, it works. It's always worked. He's got the same seven photos of Jerusalem, and he tells you about the time he went there, and it's great. It's always it's 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 always a banger. Well, and the nice, but the nice thing is, you know, it's like he he's had time to to refine those things, and I think to being older, it's like it's just like I'm gonna get to the point. And yeah. So, I, yeah, it's it's interesting to watch, but you know, there's some other things that are in the process of being worked out, which I think will be intriguing down the line. But well, so so my question for that, if if he did, you know, not to go too in depth in this, because I don't know how many people care. Uh, other than than our personal conversation, but like, <laughs> if you were to take over in that sense, would there be the idea of merging one with the other? Because it's not like you guys have a big number of people to bring across, and then you guys could. I mean, does he unless he just wants to pastor a church full time on his own? Not necessarily. Like, so just you know, it's it's watching what God's doing and and just trying to follow His lead. I mean, no one expected that they would make that jump to full time and just right off the bat the like that. Yeah, thing. yeah. So I think what that tells me is that they were in in real need, and they sensed it as soon as he started communicating the word of God to them. 
And that he was the guy who was going to be able to carry him through. Yeah, that they just, that this is what they needed. And so, that's great. You know, the, the other stuff, I, I there's a potential that it could be that we would merge. We have new folks coming to the body where we are and, and that. And so I I just don't know because, I mean, if, if I just, when I talk with them about the merger early on, I said, even if you just looked at it, logistically speaking, they were wanting us to merge and come worship in the building where they are because we're renting where we are, but they own the building where they are. Mm. It's a really small building. Our living room's bigger than the sanctuary. Really? <laughs> and, really? And That's crazy. The parking lot's even smaller. So the How the, small of a bill? I mean, what, is it one of those like big shipping crates that you, you just turn into like a mini home? <laughs> well, it, it could be quite They're like renting that. a I mean, storage unit down small. at... <laughs> And it was, I mean, it was built in 1911, I think it was, but it's a nice wow. building. It's just that there's no way possible that we could fit everybody in there from this body. Not to mention, we, we have some older folks who drive all the way up from Kalama and that, and some from Long Beach. It's like that drive, It it's yeah. the same amount of time to get to the Grange where we meet as opposed to the house. Same amount of time, but if we were to transition and then, you know, merge with this church and use the building where they are, that would extend their drive so much further. And it's moving up in towards the mm-hmm. hills, which is, you know, that's dangerous as well. So it's <clears throat> like, that makes sense. We would end up losing people from the body as a result of that. It would be unfortunate to do so. Yeah. So unless it made real sense and God was clearly directing you guys to take that step, there's no need to just take that step. Yeah. I uh, I went to a doozy of a church. It was a great church. It was one of the best ones I've been in since I've been here in Long Beach. And I've been bouncing around. I was introduced to this one church who is the guy who was a graduate from Masters and a great church. Really enjoy it. It's like 30 minutes, though, drive. So it's a bit out of the way. And um, it's a it's a cool it's a cool place. Um but I, I still enjoy, I've never really stepped out and tried other churches. Like this is a real first time for me. And now that Matt, his schedule lines up to where he's always says Sundays off, uh, him and I are able to go to church together. So we've been trying a bunch of different spots. And so we've just, the, the way we've chosen so far, it's been very random. And, uh, we, one of them was just this building that we saw on our way to Costco on a daily, like whenever we went to Costco and we always remarked that it looked like a cult. So we're like, we should just go there one Sunday. <laughs> and it wasn't a cult. It was just an inexperienced pastor with a pretty good worship team. And so, mm-hmm. which you can find that anywhere. That's like hay in a, in a haystack. Um, But this other church we went to was like a couple blocks from our place. We were going to go to this, to this one, but it was like, we were already late. And so we were like, well, might as well just find a new place. It's really close to our apartment and go. Yeah. And so it's right around the corner. We pull up and we park. There's a homeless guy outside of the church. There's a homeless guy across the street from the church and little camp going on. And so we we're like, all right, this is interesting. The building looks a bit, uh, it, it's clearly, it's not just a building. It's clearly a church building Gotcha. where like, it's got the steeple and stuff. And, um, but there's a few different signs outside. So it's clear that people are renting this out for their own services that they're doing at different times throughout the day. And so we walk in, me and Matt, and first thing I see, there's a dude just kind of sitting over there in like the corner, huddled up in a ball with his hood over his face. And like, I was like, okay, well, 
that's whatever. He's hitting, hitting in the back. Yeah. We open the doors into the sanctuary, and it is a room full of about six to seven people. Okay. So it's real intimate. Their most pews are empty. There's like one person to each pew all over the place. And like 90% of the people are either homeless or on drugs in some way or mentally challenged in some sense, whether it's schizophrenia or autism, it's somewhere in between the two. So everyone looks like they've seen a lot of life. Well, and there's just this one help, right? <laughs> dude, it was honestly, it was one of the better places that I had been. I feel like I just, we show up and there's this one older dude. He came up and greeted us said hi. The, he has this one kid who's like his, I don't even know, deacon or like what usher. I think he's the usher is what he is. And, uh, and I think he was the only dude that looked sober in the church. So that was his one go-to man. And it was just him, his wife and his daughter and uh, they had no music at all, no instruments, no nothing. He just went up with the hymnal, led it. All the homeless people chanted together. We all sang. Uh, we we said hi to literally everybody at the church because there was only like seven people. Um, cool. He prayed about us by name personally up on stage while he did all the prayer requests. He was just, thank you for Matt and Ian showing up today and blessing our body and stuff. And it was really, it was a good time. I really enjoyed it. It was, he, it was, it was weird because he's fairly old, like probably late later 50s mid to late 50s i'd say so and, like me but well he's <laughs> looking a little worse say, for, yeah. no, 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 no no i'm trying to be the benefit of the doubt because he looks a little worse for wear like where he looks older than you but i don't think he's 60 i just think he looks bad for his mid to late 50s gotcha so uh which is a compliment to you you're looking good you're still you're still young and and, and youthful you got a lot of life left in you <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he was just, he, uh, he, it's, I was strange because I usually expect that if anything, once you're at a certain age and you've been pastoring long enough, I guess that like he had good theology, it seemed, and he had a good message, but his just, his delivery was a little off. Like he could just never really got, it was not a very succinct sermon. There was a lot of reiterating points and, and not. You know, like he was trying to land on the exact way to phrase it while he was doing the sermon there. Right. And so there was a bit of there was a bit of that that uh but other than other than that, it was it was really good. And me and Matt looked at each other when we were doing worship and we were like, We need to offer our services at some point to come and just do a worship for them. Uh one of the Sundays that we decided to show up. And so very interesting. It was cool. Three people took a smoke break mid sermon. And, and, uh, that was a thing I've never experienced in a church before. And I was like, these are my people. So, uh, it was really cool though. I felt like there was just a, like, clearly this dude was just doing it because he really cared about the community of Long Beach and he just wanted to get homeless, whoever in the door and just wanted to serve those people. And so it was really cool. I I I think I was going to say it's likely he's, he's, you know, He's got a, a job that he does to make a living, and then that's what he does on the side. So he probably, probably. doesn't have as much time to study time. and yeah. hone everything down and all that. But no, definitely, I'm pretty sure that's that's how how it was. He did. They had a business meeting though afterwards, a five minute business meeting where they talked about all the books and the total income for the last year and all those things, and everyone else had to sign off on it, which is weird. I've never experienced that. Uh, I think it's a Baptist thing, possibly. 
Yeah, congregational rules. So. Uh, but they made a a whopping twenty five thousand dollars, and so wow, that's we uh, make. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't know how they manage. Maybe their budget was. I, I think their. I think they made like eighteen thousand, but then they had like twenty thousand still. I don't know. I think part of it is because they were they're they're um they're technically connected with this other church that is a Hispanic church that meets before them, and they have a a lot more people that show up to this to their service, and so this is like the the English service, but there's not very many people that come to this one, so. I was going to say, because I heard those numbers, I was like, there's no way that you've gotten $20,000 out of all these tramps in here. That can't well, possibly and, happen. Unless, too, I mean, it may be that whatever denomination he's a part of, they could, because normally denominations will be the ones, they own the building, the property, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So you can get support through the denomination, but also if if you are quote unquote the owners of the building then whoever you rent it to then some of your money can come through branches. I see I see that makes sense I, I makes know. sense now we did that and uh, that was a really it was a really fun time I think we're gonna go back this Sunday uh, Robert's gonna be in town um, and uh, I think we're all gonna go get Justin to go with us again because uh, cool. we went we went to we went to church a couple weeks ago before I came to visit for Christmas I believe and it was me, Matt, Justin, and Justin's girlfriend, Dylan. And Justin had never been to church before. This was his first time. And it was a bad church. It was really, it was rough. I mean, it wasn't, it was just like, the pastor, It, it there was the vibe that the pastor, like, his dad had been the lead pastor of this church up until, like, a week ago. And this mm. is his first Sunday getting in it, you know? And it's oh. just been all passed over to him. And so... The, the, the building's nice. Like, it seems like they still have some form of structure. The worship team's well put together. They really banging it out with the electric guitar solo halfway through one song, you know? So it was like, <laughs> it's good. It seems like you know what you're doing. He comes on stage. He's got the energy of, like, an open mic night comedian. It's like, this guy definitely is trying to hustle a comedy career as his side job. And he's just also <laughs> pastoring to pay the bills because his dad has been pressuring it on him for his whole life. And so he decided to talk about uh, his sermon was unwrapping Christmas, and he wanted to talk about the the peace of God and what peace with God can feel like. And uh, he laid out the many different variations of peace that existed. Now, I'm only aware of really like a couple, and he was only really aware of a couple, but he aimed to have 12, and he just made <laughs> most of them up at the same, oh, right off the top of his head. It was unbelievable. And he says, like, I know now when you think of peace, there's a lot of different things maybe you're thinking. Maybe you could think like peace, like peace out. And he puts the peace sign up. And I was like, there's one. There's one. And he goes, maybe you might think about like doing yoga, finding your inner peace. And I was like, there's kind of two. And he says, or maybe like uh, Woodstock back in the 90s. And, you know, you know, smoked enough weed that you actually, you know, you found real peace. And it was like, there might be three, maybe three. And he decided to come up with seven more. He he went for like, he went for like, uh, one of them was, he switched it up completely and said peace of mind. He goes, there's peace, like your peace of mind, you know, like I'm going to give somebody a peace of my mind. So I was like, well, that's a completely different spelling of the word peace. It's not even the same word now. We've completely left it here. And he's like, and you know, what's crazy about that one is that sometimes, sometimes you give so many pieces of your mind out to everyone around you, you have no mind left. 
And I was like, that is a tweetable moment. I could retweet you right now. And I, that's what I want for my pastors. And I think that's where you fall short for me a lot is that you don't have enough quotable bars that I can then be like, you know what? I could retweet this one but here's the line. here's the terrible thing about terrible teaching is that that's what you tend to remember the most <laughs> yeah oh no no no, <laughs> no like, i've never i've never had like gum sticking to the bottom of your my shoe life. man it's like you can't get rid of it it's just <laughs> i don't know it's in my head <laughs> I, I, I in one ear out the other whenever it's the real word being taught to me but if you if you tell me peace and peace of mind and i i was just i i don't know he also tried like to we, go we we all would do the same we listen and go oh this is so bad i've got to remember this to tell so and so <laughs> now the problem is though is that like I, even if i wanted to i hear him when i go to sleep at night now i just hear him saying the word peace over and over again for days it took days for it to go out <laughs> Uh, he also attempted to do a voice like I always I never really know some people they go for the joke and that's fine like you can make a make a joke but don't assume you're gonna get a laugh that's where I feel like pastors really do themselves in if you make a joke assuming that no one's gonna really laugh and people laugh that's a big win right there that's a great pastor move but when you make a joke and you end it like you're expecting everyone to up there's the punchline and then it falls short, that's a really hard thing to recover from. And thankfully, he had one woman in the front, which I don't even think was his wife, because his wife was off to the left. That was just ooing and aahing over everything he said, laughed at all the jokes. Was ba- I think she thought that they were having a one-on-one conversation. I don't know if she realized that we were all in the room with them still, uh, because she was just yesing and, oh, I agree with that. Oh, that's, that's true. That's true. And, like, uh, listen. You can preach the sermon next week if you want, okay? But this is his time. Give him the stage. And, uh, no, he uh, he attempted to do a voice of an umpire, I believe, and he just, he really committed, and he did it really loud into the mic, and it just, and no one really, it didn't do it. It fell on deaf ears. And uh, it was hard to, it, there's never a harder, there's never a louder silence than a silence after something like that. And uh, yeah, I felt bad for him. Ha- you have to have a dry sense of humor. That way, if you don't get a laugh, you don't get a laugh and doesn't phase you. But if you if you get some chuckles out of it, great. Yeah, you just have to make the joke almost for yourself, but not like expect that this is going to get them. This is going to be yeah. the funny one, you know? And it's just like, I'm just going to make my remark and, and think it's funny or chuckle to yourself about it, but... But no, so it was uh, it was definitely very interesting. And I got to say, I like the homeless church a lot more than I like that one. And uh, definitely go back and recommend that one over the other. I, I would probably do that, too, because it's funny. Your, your grandpa used to pastor church in North Hollywood, and I can remember going there when I was a kid. And um, and then when I went to Masters, I went back to help with that church because it really was that. There was like Sunday morning walk-in, and there was really just a handful of people in there. They were all pretty much homeless. But the guy that inherited the the ministry there came in. He was just like he was from you know farm country, so living in the city. Yeah. This is in L.A. I mean, you're uh, downtown, yeah, yeah, right yeah. by Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, like all of that <laughs> stuff. And then it's like pretty much everyone who comes is homeless because they used to have a, a kitchen and everything. So we did that. We came down as part of the college and we 
did a whole outreach during the week and tried to get people to come in to church and that. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it was what he expected it Not to be. To talk about like, fish out of water you. right there. Yeah. But it's like, you, you just have to, it's kind of the thing. Know, know your surroundings, know, know what, who, yeah. who and what you're, you're going to have to be about. And well, I, I think, think there's nothing wrong with being, that. there's nothing wrong with obviously the following God's lead is the most important. So if he pulls you to a place where you're, you're set in front of people that are like, these are not my people. Typically, these are not the people that I'm used to talking with. And this is not the environment I'm used to being in. Like, obviously you, you're going to be called outside of your comfort zone for things like that. But yeah. part of it's like, when you're going down that line, think, what are my strong suits? What am I like? really going to do well at? Where am I going to succeed the best? I heard someone say, when it comes to doing ministry, it's like, look for what is the thing that only I can do? Because there are a lot of things that a lot of people can do. And and if and if someone are still needed to do it, then offer yourself up to do it. But what are the things that you've been given, you've been gifted at, that only you can do? And that's where you really need to look because that's where they're going to have a lack thereof. And so some people want to yeah. just find anything to do and they'll take the first opportunity that they have and they, and you know, rush into a decision that might not pan out that well. Yeah. And I'm sure well, you probably, because you're looking and it's like, it's a city, you know, hey, potential, right? Which yeah. is true in one sense, but, you know, when you're talking about LA, which is a massive yeah. city, and it's then you've got experience. You know, all the dimensions and this church, it was a, it was sort of like a community church when I was there when I was a kid, but it's since been engulfed by the city and the life of the city and all that kind of stuff, so everything has just radically mm. changed around it, but... You just sort of adapt to where you're at, right? I mean, you do your best. Um, all right. Well, uh, for the last little segment before we wrap it up, before we wrap it up here, um, what's been uh, what's been on your mind? What's been the thing that's you've been thinking about the most, or, or or new revelations, or new whatever that's been happening over the last few weeks since we last talked? You know, one of the things I've, I've been dwelling on and partly it's because of what I'm going through in Ecclesiastes I broke off mm. for December and then come back to it after but um, <clears throat> it, I'm going through chapter 5 and I might finish it up this Sunday but I probably won't <laughs> but I'm I, knowing try. you I, 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 w- I wouldn't bet on it <laughs> I'm going to try but the thing that's interesting to me about that chapter is that so I, I titled the message "Possessions, Good and Evil?" Question mm. mark. And it's interesting to me, like you know, talk about when we're counseling people, it, you talk talk about idolatry, and it seems like it's something foreign to people. Like yeah. Sunday, I, I brought this up with the church because you know, paying of vows is what he, he de- deals with in the first part of chapter five. You know. Vows made to God and then paying your vows. If you if you made this promise to God, then fulfill it. And mm-hmm. you might think, well, that's just a totally Old Testament thing. It has nothing to do with New Testament, but that's not true. There's actually, you know, incidences where we have it in the New Testament. Yeah. But it's just any time that we we do this, we make vows to God. Like people will do that. You know, they're in a life and death situation. If you get me out of this, I will believe in you the rest of my life and I'll serve you with my life. Listen, I would say though, right? I've I've become very, very wary about the idea of making a big promise like that to God. Like I bet I'm going to really think it over before I do that. Cause I've done that a lot, especially in my youth. 
I've, there's been times where you just have a bad enough stomach ache and you're like, God, I will give all up to you and I will sa- <laughs> I will become a monk. I will move yeah. to another country. Just relieve me of the pain. And I, and I yeah. think that a lot of people, they don't realize the severity and how serious making that promise with God is because you're expected to fulfill your end of it, obviously, you know. Yeah. But it's interesting because, you know, it's it's like the the verses reveal that you have access to God, but we take something good and we make it something bad, and we can do that. And it isn't that you can't make vows, you can't make promises to God, but if you do, you better fulfill them because he's going to hold you to your word. The, the rest of the chapter, it's interesting because he will talk about possessions in that, but I think the underlying principle is somewhat the same. In that, because he talks about like the perversion of government in verses eight and nine. Then he goes and talk about wealth and how people use it or, or misuse it. But in one sense, all of these things are good. Even government, there is acknowledged in the context that there is some good that comes out of it. That the problem is that man, because he's a sinner, he perverts it. Yeah. And then we do the same thing with wealth. And most often, when I'm counseling people and talk about this with idolatry. For us, it isn't the little trinket statues that we put on our mantle, fireplace, or whatever like that. It's yeah. the idols of the heart, and usually the idols of the heart aren't things that are bad in and of themselves. There's something good, but we make them ultimate. Yeah, and they we can't carry that weight. Thing. Yeah, and it's not it's not meant to. And so, really, it's just I'm been wrestling with that for myself, and in, in light of this, you know, Sunday coming up and that, but just in life in general. How do we enjoy the things that God gives us clearly as gifts? How can we, you know, one, thank him for them, but also enjoy them in a way in which he is glorified in what we do? Because he's given them as gifts, but we can respond to them in a proper way, which then they remain good and a gracious gift from God. Or yeah. we don't and we distort them. They could take the them, place of God. Yeah. Do you feel... Um, do you feel like there are things, I mean, you don't have to go into it if you don't want it, but things that you've, you've like, that you think you idolize in life or you see yourself falling into those patterns at times? No, not that I, if I look at my life, I can't think of something that just stands out to me that I do that too. But at the same time, I'm always aware that, and are you, most, yeah, it's like, are you consciously actually thinking about it or are you just living life and enjoying the things and and you're you're not having that second thought of like okay how high of a priority is this thing in my life how much time how much of my thought my affection am i giving to this object well and it's 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 like when i think about things that we do in life you know we we pray and thank god for the food that kind of thing right Mm -hmm. But it's also like, how can I, how can I glorify him when I'm doing this? Because that's what Paul says, whether eating or drinking, right? Do all to the glory of God. So how do I do that? Right. How does that look in my everyday life where it isn't just simply something that I do routinely, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or is it something that I'm consciously going into? Because I, I, then the, the question one has to ask themselves, then if you're not doing that, then is that thing truly become sort of like an idol in and of itself? Not to the degree that you give every moment of your day pursuing it and that kind yeah. of thing. But are you acknowledging the the gift solely or are you looking to the giver? 
you know, because mm. we do that anytime like money yeah. comes into our lands, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you look at the gift and you're so thankful and automatically you're already spending it. But the then focus I found is on the where, fact that I have this thing now. Yeah. And then I, and then you, I forget in my own heart at times to turn and thank God for it. It's like, you just get it. And then all of a sudden you start. Oh yeah. I've, I've already mentally it. spent the money before I've <laughs> yeah. even acknowledged who gave it to me. Like I've already planned out exactly where every dollar is going as soon as I hear. And I'm like, at least take a second to acknowledge, you know, and that's, that's been a thing for me is trying to just be more genuinely thankful and like verbalize my thankfulness about things because one, it's, it's really tough. Once you really start counting and you really start listing out the things that you are grateful for and the things that, that I think, oh, was it, I've been, I was reading through, I want to say it's Psalms 103 maybe. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Vaguely. Huh? If you start talking about it, I'll probably remember it, but. I'm about to pull it up right now just so that I can exactly remember what it, uh, what it said, just so that I can link this back here. Hold up. It said basically, uh, bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all within me, bless his holy name, bless Yahweh, O my soul, and don't forget all his benefits. And then basically David proceeds to list off the one who forgives our iniquities, the one who heals our diseases, the one who redeemed your life from the pit, the one who crowns you with loyal love and mercies, the one who satisfies you with good. And it's like he just goes on this long list of he's the one who does this, he's the one who does that, he's the one who's provided us the ability for these things. And has blessed us with these things. And he's the constant giver and the constant provider. And I, I get in such a mindset. I know this is so common for everybody where God is the one I go to to ask for for things instead of me just talking to him about the things he's already doing. And it's like that's where like not letting your testimonies leave my lips and always, you know, proclaiming his praises where it's like I'm just talking about the good things that he is doing in the life in my life and the life of the people around me and just hashing that out and just enjoying the fact that he's done these things for you and enjoying who he is in giving that to you. And a lot of times you just lose sight of it and it becomes, you realize how silly it is sometimes when you get down or when you get in a certain mindset about things, once you really start recounting all that he does, all that he has done and all that he continues to do. And it's like, Oh man, I'm really, really whining about some minute issues right now that he probably will resolve at some point for me if I continue to go down this path the way I should. Yeah, that's true. Uh, for me, I've been... Um, my major focus for the last bit, I feel like I was doing really well in my walk with the Lord, and then I came home, and I don't think I got back to the place I was before I left after I got back to Long Beach again after Christmas. And I, I think a big thing that I was thinking about a lot and meditating on and trying to learn what that's supposed to look like to live out is, is the ability to just abide in Christ and abide in the Lord throughout your entire day. Hmm. And realizing that your relationship with your with the Lord is not just reading a psalm and a proverb in the morning before you go to work, or or reading a chapter out of this book before you go to bed at night. And it's like, well, I did my Bible time, so I've I've had my relationship with the Lord, you know. Yeah. And realizing that it's this continual dialogue back and forth throughout the day, where you're just realigning your mindset, you're realigning your thoughts back to Him, you're re going. 
I'll, I'll be, I'll read, I'll stop and try to, I'll, when I'm really doing well, I'm stopping and I'm reading Psalms or reading this or that like four or five, six times throughout my day where every couple hours I'm just stopping, taking a break to pray, to read through something just to kind of reset my mind where it's supposed to be. And I just don't, I, you know, I, I've just, I realized that it's not this, it's not this one time decision that you make but this constant, just you have to remain there. And it's really tough. It's a lot tougher than you think at first. But then at the same time, it's almost not tough because the feeling of what that's like when you are there is so unbelievably different than when you're not. And you feel so lost. You feel like you're falling so fast and you don't know where to where to go or what to do when you're not abiding in him after doing it for some period of time. And it's... It's such like a weird with it's a withdrawal almost is what it feels like. And then I run to all these other things to try to fill this emptiness that I now feel because I'm missing this genuine relationship with the Lord. And um and realizing too that that like coming at my walk with the Lord with less of a uh like I'm here to study or I'm here to like try to pick apart every verse and figure out all the th- you know not that you shouldn't do that but like I'm just here to try to listen. I'm just going to show up and and assume that if I come here humbly trying to learn and I just sit at the feet and and is, expect him to teach me then he will. You know, and that will happen. And if I'm listening, I'm going to hear what he has to say to me. And he's going to open my eyes to truths that I didn't see before. And he's going to be able to move those truths not just from my head but into my heart and make them a thing that I really live by and understand and believe. But it's a matter of just always being there because if you show up for 15 minutes in conversation with him and you show up and that's it, it's like, well, okay, great. You know, maybe you did get something from that and that's better than nothing. But it's like, I would rather just be hearing things from him all throughout my day and just reaffirming different things in my head and, and reevaluating stuff because without it, it's just... It's hard to it's hard to just you can't coast off of one chapter through an entire day. I feel like by the time at the end of my workday, it it's like I really need to be reminded that I who my focus is, what my goal is, or else I'm just gonna go home and want to drink and want to smoke and want to whatever and just be like, ah, oh, I'm done. I need to relax. I need to unwind. And and you know, it's like your faith isn't nine to five. You know, you don't clock out of it and then just be like, oh, I've, I've put in my time for today. I can go and, and unwind and do what I actually want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just that's my main focus for the last few weeks. And it's something that I'm probably going to be focusing on for, I imagine, the rest of my life in some way or another. But Yeah, but it's good that you recognize that. <laughs> Because uh, unfortunately, there are those who don't recognize that and don't realize that that's happening in their life, and they get so used to that that yeah. groove. You know, we were talking about before those those grooves and patterns of life that mm-hmm. run so deep. You've walked in them so many times. Yeah. <clears throat> well, then that's the problem. Is I realized once I once I had come to the conclusion of like. I need this. I need my faith to be something that's real. I need to do this the right way because it's not working any other way, and I need to cling to him. You start to really learn what that's going to take, and 
there's so many paths you've already built up. There's so many habits that you have to tear down and they seem like nearly impossible, but you realize it's so simple because you don't even have to attack that path. It's not even like, okay, here's a mental path that I've had built up in my head and now I need to think, what is the best way from point A to point B to be able to break it down and get to a new mental place that I'm at, you know, and a new pattern for life. And it's like, if all you're doing is just every day you wake up trying to find trying to seek out God and trying to know him more and that's and that's just the main thing running through your head and at every turn that's where you're going you're just trying to find him you're looking for God you're trying to seek him out then those things it'll all deal itself out you know he's going to show you where to go next he's going to show you what to work on he's going to point out the flaws of where you need to make adjustments and so it seems so overwhelming because it's like, wow, in order to do this, I need to give up this. I need to stop this. I need to change this. I need to partake in this instead. And it's like, how am I ever going to be able to do that? But it's like, you don't have to do all those things. You have to just do this one thing and all those other things are going to happen. Yep. That's, That's where like in Psalm 119, especially in like some of the, the first few uh, sections, because uh, I've just been going through that and I've only gotten so far into it, but like, he, he starts, he gets to a place where he's just asking, like, God, open my eyes to this. Show me this. You tell me this. You teach me this. Hide this in my heart. Write this down. Like, do all, it's like, I need you to open me to this. I'm just coming to you because this is all I can do is just follow your feet and hope yeah. that you're going to do the rest. But unlock these doors for me because I can't even do that on my own. I can't even really read and process your word by myself. I need you to communicate this to me. And so if I just, you know, it's it's so simple, but if I just have to keep reminding myself, I'm just here to seek out him and he will give me the rest. Well, if, I mean, to, to bring everything back full circle to how we started, I mean, that's that's really, I think, I've always said that's sort of the the role of parents as much as they can mm-hmm. by the more by the life that you model is that our, our kids need <clears throat> to be independently dependent. We we think that we're supposed to raise our kids to be independent and go make all of these things on their own when in reality they need to do all that completely dependent upon God. And so there is this, you know, desire for them to stand, right? And yeah. take a stand and, and walk through life, but at the same time to do so completely dependent and you can't force that in them, right? Cause they're also trying to discover what it means to be them. Yeah. Well, because I think as a kid, when you're growing up, all you hope for is more independence. It's like, I would like my parents to give me more independence, to give me more of ability to do things on my own for myself. And when you look at your parents in those people, in those positions, if you see people who are, who, who aren't dependent on God and are making it clear that they are leaning on God this whole time and they're allowing him to dictate all their decisions, then it's just like... My ultimate goal is to get the freedom to do whatever feels like the best idea for me to do. And that's what I need to get to. And now, you know, my parents are just the ones that hold that back for me and I need to, I need to get there. And, but I don't think you realize it's just, it's, it's just, I am already dependent on my parents and I just need to wean myself into being dependent on God because I'm not going to be able to do this independently. Yep. And so, I mean, the problem is you have both moving in the wrong direction. You have kids are trying to do one thing. Parents are essentially pushing them to do the same thing, not not realizing it. And yeah, neither of them are moving towards the right objective. Oh, yeah. 
Well, on that note, I think that is a good little wrap-up to the the first and or second episode of the May God Help Us podcast. Um, any closing remarks you'd like to make to the people? Any little thoughts of wisdom you'd like to say for this next week? Any gems? Any, any tweetable sermon moments? You know what I mean? One of the things I've been been thinking about is, you know, we were talking about seeing the the extraordinary and the ordinary, and I came across a statement by C.S. Lewis. He says, nothing can seem extraordinary until you have discovered what is ordinary. Belief in miracles, mm. far from depending on an ignorance of the laws of nature, is only possible insofar as those laws are known. Mm. Food for thought. Text me that. I'm going to think that over this next week. We'll come back to that at some point. All right. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. And remember always, may God help us.